Welcome to a special release of the Reality Escape Pod. We are putting out one of our exclusive Spoilers Club episodes. You know, escape rooms and fight clubs have a lot in common. They're both challenging, they're often held in mysterious secret locations, and we all know the number one rule of both fight clubs and escape rooms is you just can't talk about them. Oh boy, (laughs) this is a tough thing when you've dedicated a whole podcast to covering escape rooms while trying to avoid spoilers. That's why David and I created the Spoilers Club for our higher level patrons. We invite the creators of iconic escape rooms to join us on this series, where we discuss the games in full spoilery detail, including exclusive behind the scenes director's cut style commentary. And we have got a special treat for our listeners today. In this episode, we will be covering Time Machine by Not Another Escape Room, a much beloved game in Los Angeles. This is unusual for us because it's rare that we get to cover an amazing escape room that is closing. And so because this room is now closed at the time that we recorded it, we were able to release a full spoilers club on the open internet without fear of it causing a lot of chaos. And if you want more like this, back us on Patreon. Everyone at the $15 a month level and above receives access to not just the spoilers club, but also all of our bonus episodes and so much other content. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod Spoilers Club. Today, PG and I are joined by Davey Eaves and Bora Olkin of Not Another Escape Room, and we will be spoiling the phenomenal and closed time machine. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This is such a special treat because it is very rare that we get to cover an amazing escape room that is closing. And so because this room is now closed at the time of this recording, it does not exist anymore. And that is why we are finally able to release one of our Spoilers Club's episodes out to the public. I believe that I was the last person to play this, me and my team, when we were in Los Angeles. Is that still correct? That's right. You guys were 100% the last group to ever play the game. You had given our team permission to break things when we <laughs> went in because you wanted it disabled. And we went in intending to do that, but we also loved the game so much we couldn't bring ourselves to damage anything. <laughs> and you guys didn't. You didn't. I, I did want you to take the opportunity to, because, you know, when we're running a game, it's always like, don't break anything, the two-finger force rule. And so it's nice to be like, hey, you want to go for it, go for it. Just take all the liberties that you want. It's so hard. I mean, I still, to this day, unwrap all of my presents so carefully. Like, I have never once in my life reused wrapping paper. And I still (laughs) cannot bring myself to just rip it open and destroy it. So I totally get it. And, you know, the other funny story is that 
I was there also because I wanted to watch you guys played. I had already played the game before, but I was like, ooh, now I get to watch from behind the scenes and I can see the magic of how all the changes take place. And so I was sitting there with Davey and it's a two-man operation. Bora's in the game. He's making all of the scene changes. And Davey was like, watch, Bora's going to start resetting, even though he doesn't need to because no one's playing this game again. He goes, watch this. And sure enough, <laughs> we could see, you know, you you were just moving on like automatic mode and resetting everything. And it was just, it was so funny to see. Yeah, halfway through, I, I realized I don't need to reset after this game because this is <laughs> absolutely the last time anyone's ever going to play. But just felt good to like finish it for one last time and run it exactly how we've been running it for like three years. And just so everything goes correctly and I don't forget to do something specific. Let's start with a little bit of backstory here. How did Not Another Escape Room come into existence? Really, I'd say just from a love of Escape Room. So we started playing them in 2015 and we went into it saying, hey, let's play like one a month. And then that didn't happen. But then eventually we caught up and we we got the bug and became addicted. And we we're playing a bunch of games back to back. And then we thought, you know what, maybe, maybe this is something we could do because we really enjoy it. We're both pretty logical people. So let's see what we can put together. We built our first game in Boar's Garage and then moved it after we rented the space in Brea. And the first game was 100% Gen 1, so just lock, key... And then from there, we were like, we wanted to see if people would come and play, if this was actually something we could do. And it was a weird feeling to have people pay to play a game that you designed. But when they did, we were like, oh, okay. And they seemed to kind of like the puzzles. So let's let's build like a, a, a real escape room where it's not just puzzles in a room. And so from that, we started talking about Time Machine and built it. Yeah. And it just so happened that like the space next to our space was also available and Davey was like, we need to jump on that as soon as possible before it gets rented out. And he was like, let's do it, even though we don't have a plan. This was way before we decided what to do for Time Machine. And we just started renting the space. And then we started talking about Time Machine. That was your first game? Time Machine was the second game. But kind of the first, I guess, not real game, but like that you had really invested a lot of money into you and built in that retail space, right? Exactly. Like the in-space build, that was the first game we built. And it took us so long. You guys are insane. That's so, so ambitious. What an ambitious build. You both still have day jobs as well. Yeah, we both teach math during the day. Ah, I did not know the career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the things that is really interesting for me about not another escape room, was hearing from not just a couple of people, but a lot of people that Lisa and I needed to play your games. And every single person who recommended you would all say a variation on the same thing, which is these games are not fancy, but they're fantastic and you have to play them. Just don't go in expecting all of the crazy scenic design. And it was kind of interesting for me because I'd heard that so, so many times. And my expectations were dialed in exactly where they should be. I definitely saw why people were telling me I needed to play. Games are very inventive. And I think Time Machine especially. 
How did this game come about? Thank you, first of all. And I think that describes Time Machine pretty well. Everything that we do is 100% just Bora and I. So everything that we build, every puzzle we make, 100% is just Bora and I. And then running the game was just Bora and I as well. So we didn't have a large budget and we wanted to make something fun and different. And so we started talking about what can we do that is inventive and new and not kind of the same thing that we've seen before. Not another escape room. Right, right. And one idea that I was latching on to is how can we do a better job of hiding the secret door? Because you go into an escape room and you're like, oh, that bookcase right there is going to open. Or, oh, I can't wait to crawl through that refrigerator. And so (laughs) we're like, with the space that we have, how can we make a game that has some cool reveals and we didn't really know what that was going to mean at the time but how can we make a game that is going to wow people and surprise people and in the direction in which they go and then from there it was like well what if we put them through the same door that they had gone through like Willy Wonka style where they they come into a door they go into a room and then when they go back out the same door they're in a different space and then Bora had the idea from there for the theme Yeah, so we were talking about a couple of things. It kind of boiled down to either some kind of magic, like a magician theme thing, where you would go through the same door into different spaces, or it was going to be time travel. And time travel, we are both huge fans of, of like Back to the Future and just time travel movies in general. So that just sounded really exciting to us. And, and so we built a whole game around just the reveals. Basically we were like, we want to do this thing where they go through the same door that they went through. And it's different when they come back. And then we talked about making it, making the same transition or like the same changing door happen multiple times in the game. And so we eventually worked with the space very carefully because it is not a huge space that the whole game is in, but we somehow fit like a bunch of rooms into like two rooms. Like it's a two room space that we've kind of converted into a five room game. It just worked so well that, that we're, we're so happy that people enjoyed the transition so much. It makes sense that you guys are magicians because it reminds me of that trick where you cut up a chocolate bar in like a funny way and you somehow have an extra piece of chocolate at the end and the bar looks exactly the same size. I don't know how you guys managed to carve out this giant room into the space that you have. It's it's very spatially disorienting for most players because you they're like it does not make sense while you're in the game. It didn't make sense to people how they were in a different space or like, it doesn't feel like the building is big enough to like house this thing. I watched you guys do it from behind the scenes and I'm still confused. So yeah, (laughs) my mind is still blown. (laughs) I'll say I generally have a very good awareness of space while I'm playing escape rooms just in general. And I was disoriented by the flow of this game. I am also curious. I have seen, Lisa and I refer to the mechanic you're using as a room swap. It's not an especially common mechanic in general, but I would say especially in North America. I've only seen it a handful of times. Had you seen that before or the first time that you built it was the first time you saw it happen in real life? 
So the first time we built it was the first time that we had experienced it. We hadn't played a game that had the same type of room swap before. However, when we were almost done building it, we played a game. And that game, we went into a room and we were doing something and we had to go out of the room. And we knew the game wasn't over, but we knew we were going through the same door that we had just entered. And we had this this thing of like, oh no, our big thing here has already been done. And so there was a moment that we were scared and then we walked out and, and they had done a similar thing. But we were like, okay, I think ours is different enough that if, even if we had played this before, people aren't going to be like, oh, you stole that from here. Because I think it, ours was different enough and, and more grand and we did it a couple times. Yeah, I would say that yours was one of the more extensive uses of the mechanic and also felt unique. And I have seen this a few times at this point. I can also tell you, it hasn't gotten old for me. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's not something you you see all the time. And when we saw it happen right as we were done building this room that we spent 11 months building, and then we saw it happen in another escape room, we had a moment where we were like, oh no, they've already done this. Like, why did we waste all this time? I feel like until you see the behind the scenes of our room, as a player, you don't really fully understand the scope of things or the scope of the moving parts. And you can speak about this. You saw the behind the scenes. I've never seen this big of a like moving parts kind of situation at other escape rooms. Well, like I said, I watched and it was still a little bit confusing. It was like origami or something. <laughs> like you would slide these walls over. Some of them rotated. Some set pieces got pulled out from behind walls. It was like I said, I'm honestly still baffled. And I know that you guys are making a YouTube video of it. And I know this is the type of thing that may be better visually. So I would encourage our listeners to also check out the YouTube video so you can watch how it happens after you listen to this podcast. So without further ado, let's talk about Time Machine. How does this adventure begin? The little backstory is that in 1986, these two guys, Michael and Calvin, they're best friends. They build the time machine. The time machine goes missing. And Michael blames Calvin, thinks that he stole it. Calvin swears he had nothing to do with it. But Michael doesn't believe him. The two never speak again. Up until present day, Calvin works to build a new time machine so he can go back, find out who originally stole their time machine, and then make amends with Michael. But then when you, the players, come in, that's where the story takes off. Calvin's gone back in time, but he's been gone for quite a while, and we think he might be trapped in time. So we need the players to see if they can get into his time machine, get it working, go back in time and, and rescue Calvin if he needs rescuing. So you go into this room that is just clearly the room of a madman. There's writings all on the wall, a bunch of calculations everywhere, and you find a ball you put the ball in an elevator and it goes along a track hits some numbers down and you you get a key before you move on from that it's not just that equations are scrawled on the walls which we have seen many many times the walls are covered in paper with an incredible volume of mathematical notation it's not just a lot it's so so much 
where did all that come from? That's a hundred percent undergrad right there. <laughs> so Bor and I kept a lot of our notes from our, our undergrad in math. And we even had a professor that would always say, one day when you get older and you have your own house, you can wallpaper your house with these math equations. And so we did just that. We put them all up. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of just like a joke that went a little too far. And we were like, yeah, I have binders and binders of notes and homework and, and exams and stuff. We didn't want it to be like, you need to search for something in these math papers. So it's so dense that like players know that there's no way you're going to be searching for a specific thing on the walls. Mission accomplished. And uh, I'm glad that you got some money for your college notes. <laughs> yeah. So the players get a key and they enter into the time machine and it's this silver room that it's like the inside of a Chipotle burrito. <laughs> and we, we give players, we give them a minute to kind of situate themselves. Cause there's kind of a lot going on and there's a one minute timer counting down that says an alarm will commence in a minute and an alarm goes off and there's a red flashing light because the idea is that you've broken into this guy's time machine and this is his alarm. But when it goes off, you can see it reveals a code. So that code goes into a keypad and then the keypad turns the alarm off and then the game really kind of really begins there. So in the time machine, there's three different puzzle routes the first one has paintings on the walls, and it's about spotting the difference. So when we created these puzzles in the time machine, we wanted the idea of time and playing with time and someone has traveled through time. So we have these well-known paintings that we had gone in and edited. There's just one small thing different in each of them. Like in the first painting, there's a bee, like a bumblebee that wasn't originally there that we put there. And so the players get a B from that. And the second one, there's like an O on the door. And then next one, uh, it's the Campbell's Andy Warhol painting. And there's a missing L. So they have a book and they can see what the original paintings are supposed to look like and what these new paintings now look like. And you find those four differences. The last one is a golf tee in the birth of Venus. So it spells bolt. The main idea behind the puzzles in the burrito room, the silver foil-covered mad scientist time machine room, was mainly part of it is like fixing the time machine with tools. There are puzzles involving screwdrivers and wrenches and things like that. And then there are other puzzles with like historical artworks or specific times in history that have been altered or places that Calvin has visited during his time travel days. There's another puzzle where players have to identify certain uh, historical landmarks that Calvin has visited, and we have them on a list, kind of like in a top 10 list situation, and they are kind of scattered around the room in little picture frames. If you pay close attention to the pictures, Calvin is actually photoshopped into all of them. The building of the Great Wall of China, for example, or the building of the Eiffel Tower. And those kind of go into a, in a top 10 list and they go to unlocking a directional lock based on the color of the frame. That's one of the other routes that you can go through. Then the third route, the books. 
one of the chests, there's like a couple of chests in the room. One of the chests has pictures of Calvin's favorite books, which are kind of time travel related, a couple of them, uh, and maybe some sci-fi books, but you're supposed to find similarities amongst those four books in the room that you find. Those are all written by an author with a last name Wells, and that is what eventually unlocks that lock. And that's one of the puzzles that that a lot of players will overthink because you're looking for similarities in books, but it, it somehow is is a puzzle that's very overthought by players. With that puzzle, when we created it, we thought, oh, this is going to be way too easy because we put the covers of the books on the chest and we put the books right under the chest and there's not any other book. So it's not like you have to find them. It's just here are the books. They clearly go with this chest and how do they relate to one another? And they're all written by an author with the name of Wells. So when we created it, we're like, oh, it's going to be probably too easy, but maybe we, we can make it a little more challenging later if we want to. And so we put it in there. And like Bora mentioned, it was just, it wasn't easy for some reason. And, and players would overthink it. There were plenty of players that would see, oh, they're all by Wells. Okay, maybe we'll put them in alphabetical order by their first initial. Just a bunch of crazy things. It was like the the definition of overthinking a puzzle. I would 100% do that. I would completely gaslight somebody if they were like, it's just Wells. They're all written by Wells. And I'm, that's not it, guys. Like, come on. <laughs> Always try before disregarding. <laughs> exactly. No, I would overthink it for sure. I honestly can't remember if they were, were they taped shut when we first opened? No, I don't think that they originally were. They were just open books. There was only four books on the shelf in the room. So it's not like you're trying to find something in the books. But eventually we taped the books shut. So you couldn't, you were just looking at the covers and maybe the back. It was still kind of hard for groups. taking a moment to thank our sponsor, Morty. Morty is a free app for discovering, planning, tracking, and reviewing your escape rooms and other immersive social outings. And Morty is now available for all to use on its brand new web experience, in addition to its fantastic iPhone app. I believe in Morty so much that I have a stake in it as an advisor. Morty has the most extensive database of escape rooms and escape room ratings in the world. That means that no matter where you are or are planning to visit, you can use Morty to discover and track your escape room adventures. Morty is now available to use on its web experience in addition to its fantastic iPhone app. And we have great news. This fall, Morty has expanded to feature haunt attractions. If you are a Halloween or horror fan seeking thrills this fall, Morty has you covered. There will be so many more experiences to find in their database. This is Morty's biggest expansion since going international and its first time going beyond escape rooms. And for escape room purists, if you have no interest in haunts, Morty's design will ensure that you only get escape rooms in your feed. You can learn more at mortyapp.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D to sign up and get a special badge for our listeners. Link and details are in the show notes. 
after players finish out the puzzle set in this space, what happens next? Yeah, so part of when they're doing the puzzles, some of the things they find are these batteries. And they're like cartoonish oversized D batteries that once they get a chest open, they put the batteries in and that powers the time machine. So the time machine kicks on and they get a list of things they have to do, flipping some switches and turning some dials, getting it fine-tuned to exactly where they want to go. And then the lights go out that time travelers are told to stand still and they begin to travel through time. You see a, a counter come on the screen that starts with the year that we're in and then it just slowly starts to tick forward and then it gets faster and faster and there's some rumblings to sound and then as you look around the walls around you literally start to shake and that's our million dollar Bora back there shaking the walls with his hands. <laughs> so to give that kind of warping effect of time. So with the sounds and you see the the numbers clicking and you can see the walls moving. And while he's doing that, I'm just on the other side of the door and I have the easy transition of moving a wall. The sound and the shaking keeps players distracted and focused on something else. And so I can move the wall very quickly and quietly enough that it's not noticed. But mine's just a turn. It's a wall in two pieces, and it turns and turns on hinges and wheels. And so when the room stops shaking, they come out the same door that they went in before, and now all of a sudden, they're in a completely different space. And now they're in the future. So when you say that you move a wall, you're moving the wall that has the door on it? No. So the door itself is the door that the players go in and out of multiple times, but it doesn't move. And when I'm moving the wall, the players, I'm not moving the players. I'm not moving anything that's touching the players or around the players. But on the other side of the wall, on the other side of the door, the wall that had all of those papers, all those math equations on them, it folds in two places on hinges and just rotates 90 degrees so that when it's rotated and you come out the door, you're on the back side of that wall. So players come out on the other side of the wall, and now to the left of them is the wall that I've just moved, and behind that wall is the original room they started in. But now they don't see that. Instead, they see this future. And the idea of the future was just this minimalist room, white walls, there's some stations in the middle, When we originally opened it, our idea was that this was like a terminal, like an airport terminal, but for time travel. So it's the time terminal is what we called it. And you're told the system has recognized that you're following Calvin through time. And so they're going to allow you to continue following him. But you need to do some cognitive tests to make sure that you're fit to continue traveling. And so you gather around these stations and you have to play some games. And the games are relatively simple and minimalist, but it's meant to get you working with one another to try to solve some basic puzzles that you don't know what the instructions are you solve by doing, basically. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with this. And it turns out that like you end up having to work with one other person. And eventually you realize that you're kind of working on the same game. You're paired up with one other player. It was kind of fun having to figure out that game. I had a blast. 
these games are a series of logic and communication challenges. They look kind of like Atari games, except you're playing them with another player and it's not immediately obvious who you're playing with until you start to experiment. Yeah, we tried to do like a balance between puzzle and mini game, but also trying to figure out who you're working with. That's what we were going for there. And I think, Davey, you had told me that these games have adaptive difficulties. So if you see that players are really struggling with some of the games, you can change the tolerance for like landing a block or something, right? Yeah, it's actually, it's built in. Board designed all of the games. So as players play, if they keep making mistakes on a puzzle, they're designed in such a way that they get easier. So when you're trying to stack these things to the very top of the screen, if you're unable to stack them, then the bar at the top moves lower. And it just keeps moving lower and lower every time you fail so that the game gets easier and easier as you fail. So we wanted players to, just like with the game, we wanted them to experience the whole game time machine as a whole we wanted them to be able to do all of these games as well these mini games in the future so they get easier as players fail there's a seven minute cap if a player or a group of players is on a game and seven minutes has passed whatever game they're on that's their last game so if they can get through all of them within seven minutes which some can uh, then they get to play all of them but if not whatever game they're on at the seven minute mark will be their last so once they finish that game, then it'll go on to the next part where they have to go into the lockers and it gives them a code for a locker to unlock. And originally, uh, we had a 15-minute cap on that. But as groups were playing, we noticed, oh, this is too long. Groups are getting to a point where they're like, okay, I'm done with this. We need to move on and kind of getting bored. And so we're like, oh, we need to, to shorten that. And so we shortened it and we found a sweet spot of seven minutes, I think. It's still... Still long enough that groups are able to get through the puzzles and work with them, but short enough that players aren't getting bored if they have to continue doing a puzzle multiple times. And it wasn't just them getting bored. Players were thinking that this was kind of like just there to waste time and not part of the actual game itself. Like doing these mini games wasn't going to lead to something. So the 15 minute mark kind of became that like, oh, this is taking too long. This might just be here to just spend some time playing some games. And it didn't really feel like something you had to do to move forward in the game. So limiting that to seven minutes kind of helped with that. Players would finish the games or the games would end before they got to that tipping point of like thinking it's a waste of time or it's a red herring of some sort. We designed those games in the middle to hold any number of up to six players. So one player has a one player station two players, a two-player station that are connected and play together, and then the three-player station that are connected and play together. So, for example, if you have five people, you're doing the two-player station and the three-player station. And when you finish the games, it tells you this key card will unlock this locker. And so you tap the key card to the locker, and the locker will open. And then it's a logic puzzle with colored lights. There's three logic puzzles depending on the number of players that you have. That makes sense. And so upon completing these, there are a whole bunch of little boxes around the room and those things pop open. So originally the boxes weren't there. When we first opened this game, those lockers weren't there and the clocks on the wall weren't there. It was just white walls and these stations that you did. And then during the pandemic, we decided we need to kind of extend this room. You weren't spending enough time in this room 
to really appreciate it. And so we added all of those lockers. So each of those one, two, and three have their own locker and have their own sequence of lights and a logic puzzle of their own. And once those are all done, then you go into the last part of the future, which is to set the time terminals, these clocks on the wall. And again, we wanted this to feel like an airport. And so our idea was that this was one of the three local time terminal stations in Brea, that there was one in Anaheim and one in Fullerton. You had to set the clocks to the specific dates that those terminals were operating at and yours was 1986 because that's the date that you were going to go back to. And so you set those and once they're in the correct spot, then you're told to stand still because it's time to travel again. And so the the lights go out, the warping sound happens again. Around the door, the same door that you had just come into from the time machine, that starts to glow and there's a spinning light there and then you're told that you can proceed to the year 1986. So while all of this is happening in the future room, essentially in the time terminal, I'm behind the scenes changing the whole set of the original time machine, the burrito room, the silver cover room that they just came from. In there, we have almost a whole room that moves out of the way to build a new room in a new space into the room that the walls were shaking in originally that kind of moves out of the way to create space for uh, when they come back through that door. Once again, I build up kind of a garden scene in there. I roll out some grass, some turf on the ground. I produce a lantern from a back room that exists. And then an extra wall comes out of another room I kind of put some tools around there to give it like a garden feel so that when the players finally do play all the mini games and do all the puzzles in the the time terminal, when they come back through that same door, they are now in a totally different room. They've actually traveled to 1986 and they're outside of Calvin's apartment in his little garden. I could not believe that there was a second room change. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, this was the first game where I had seen this mechanic. So it was blowing my mind. I I was like a fish the whole time. My mouth was just open wide. Like, what? Like, like, how are they doing this? (laughs) David remembers when I came back after playing this, I was like, I was talking about it nonstop. It's true. (laughs) And uh, for good reason. So now we're we're outside of a house, if I'm remembering correctly, the order of the flow of time. Yeah, so the players, they're in a garden. There's only a couple of puzzles in this space. This space was not originally a garden. When we first opened this room, we still had the same exact like from behind the scenes perspective, we had the same exact moving walls and moving rooms, but instead of the garden, it was kind of a black curtain tunnel that players were walking through and going straight into the apartment. The whole room change aspect of the game wasn't really connecting with the players. The fact that they were going through the same door and they were in a totally different space wasn't connecting uh, with the players. So, While we were closed during the pandemic, we decided that 
it needed to be more obvious. So the garden wasn't originally part of the plans, but we were like, we need to do something different with the space so that when they come back through, it's an eye opener. It's like a moment in the game that players realize that something big happened. So we added the garden in. There's only a couple of puzzles in the garden. You don't spend a lot of time in there. You kind of have to find some tools around the garden, put them on the wall in their designated spots. And that turns on like a little spotlight on a couple of plants that you have to rearrange for whichever ones need the light. And then that kind of gets you to a key to the apartment. So once you get that key to the apartment, you're able to go through there. But adding that garden, we found that really helped players realize the big room changes that were happening at that point of the game. So once you get into the 1986 apartment, it's like a full wallpapered uh, apartment from the 80s. And there's like posters of Back to the Future and Ferris Bueller's Day Off on the wall. And like a- it's a nostalgia fest. Yes, it's it's one of, I think it's most players' favorite room, especially in, if they're like in their 30s or 40s. They've seen this 80s stuff either in their parents' house or in their own house growing up. There's like a little tape deck, a cassette player, there's Rubik's cubes around, there's a little 22-inch CRT TV in there. It's just like, it's a total blast from the past. And there's one specific painting on the wall that we've kind of talked about. We got it from a thrift store, I think, and it's some like old painting that almost every group that gets into that room recognizes that painting as being a painting from their grandma's house or their mom's house from back in the day. I hear that comment all the time. Like my mom had this painting or my grandma had this painting. It's such a blast from the past. I think this was arguably the best decorated set in the entire game. It was really cohesive. It felt incredibly authentic. I think it was really interesting what you told us about the garden too, because I remember when we played it, it felt very short. So it makes sense that it was something that was added afterwards. But that said, it is a small space also. So I think that eventually when you're like, oh, there's only a few puzzles and then you continue on and you're a little bit not glad to be out of there, but because it is a a tight squeeze, but it was still an impactful transition. It serves its purpose of giving people a moment to acknowledge that they just walked through the same door. Some groups take a second to realize that or like they'll tell each other like one person will realize or the rest of the group won't realize that they walked through the same door. So it gives them that moment to like communicate that something happened and like they went through the same door and it's a different space. But yeah, it is kind of a darker space and we didn't want to put too many puzzles in there. We wanted it to be kind of a transition space between main rooms of the game. The first main room being the time machine room, the second main room being the future, and then the final room that they finished the game in is the 80s. Those are like the main three rooms where most of the puzzles are in the game. Okay, and so the 80s room, we are not getting into that through the same door. This is the first time we're kind of going through a separate door now. Yeah. And this door didn't exist in the, like you're in your mind's space while you were playing the game. Cause when you get to the garden, you're in a space that didn't exist when the game started. Half of that space is kind of the same space you were in before, but it's totally different. So you don't recognize any of it. The floor is covered. The walls are different. It's a totally new space. And yeah, you go through a a new door to get into the apartment. And once you get in there, there's a couple of ways you can progress in there. We wanted to have 
parallel elements to the game, not to bottleneck the game into a, a linear game. There's a couple of places you can start. Uh, one of them is by turning on the TV and watching the commercials. We found a bunch of commercials from the 80s along with their physical counterparts, like a vacuum cleaner from 1986 or a Shasta Cola can. We had to kind of do a game of finding the objects and finding the commercials at the same time going through thrift stores or or eBay to find specific items to fit that theme. The vacuum cleaner that you had there was the exact vacuum that my parents had when I was a kid. (laughs) It might be the same exact one, like literally the same one. We would go to the thrift store and we would find these objects. And then I would Google real quick to see if there was like a short 15 to 30 second commercial for that item that we could use in the room. We ended up with six specific objects and six commercials. So it's like a like a three-minute puzzle overall where you watch the commercials, find the objects in the room, and the objects have numbers on them that eventually goes to a a lock that you unlock. But yeah, that was kind of a a fun game of like finding those objects. And we had a bunch of fun uh, looking for specific things that we wanted to have from the 80s in the room that people would enjoy finding. I never thought I'd be excited by a specific vacuum cleaner, (laughs) but here we are. Yeah. So that's one place you can start. The other place you can start in the 80s is there's like a mini Pac-Man cabinet on a little table in the 80s room that turns on when you flip a switch. And if you start playing it, you notice that there are no ghosts in this little Pac-Man game. And if you continue playing it, players noticed that Pac-Man wasn't necessarily eating all of the little yellow dots that he's supposed to be eating, which is when the light bulb usually goes off and they're like, oh, this is not a normal game. There's something here different. So uh, once you eat all of the dots that you can eat in this little cabinet, that's when the yellow dots that are remaining reveals a code for a lock. So that was the other starting point in the 80s. So there's two starting points. They're both kind of tech puzzles, which is weird for having in an 80s room, but the TV and the Pac-Man cabinet are the two places you can start in there, which kind of leads to a couple other puzzles. You get to play a little game of Guess Who along the way, which a lot of people's favorite game growing up was Guess Who, so they're super excited to revisit that little board and flip those guys down to reveal a, a person who unlocks a lock at the end of that Throughout the room, you unlock more and more Rubik's Cubes, which go on a table. And once you place those Rubik's Cubes, you get a code from looking at them where the stickers on top align to show a code. Uh, And that's kind of the last puzzle in the 80s. That leads to a drawer that gives you kind of a flux capacitor looking thing, which we called the power source for our 1986 time machine. And you plug that into the wall you go through the the 1986 apartment door and then you go through the garden and then you go through the door which is where all of the transitions have been happening and once again when you go through that door another transition has happened and then you travel back to the future the future yes back to the future and you're back in the very first room that you started in with the math equations all over the walls and back in present time whenever you played the game. And that was the transition that kind of melted my brain. That you ended up where you started? Yeah. 
I was just not expecting to find that room on the other side of the door. And you're not alone. A lot of people felt that same way when we did it. It wasn't something that we even considered because we knew what the space was. We knew how everything was set up. When I do that last moving of the walls and I put it back to how, how you started, to us, as the people who created it, it makes sense. Like, well, of course you're going to come back into that room. But everyone that came through, they were like, oh my God, this is this is where we started. And so it was a nice like, oh, I guess that is kind of trippy as well. And it was a nice, a nice thing we hadn't considered. I wasn't going to be surprised if I had gone from the time machine back into that space. It was the way that everything had kind of completely reconfigured that threw me off. It was just not where I was expecting the space to kind of, I know you're kind of bending and moving things behind the scenes. It was not in my mental map of the space that that could happen. Absolutely. The last time you saw it was a door from the future kind of time station, time terminal to the garden. So when you go back through the garden, I think a lot of people expect to end up back in the time terminal, the future terminal. So getting back to the very first room, which they haven't seen for like an hour, it was a, a big surprise for a lot of players, I think. This game took a lot to operate. It required both of you. You had no other employees running this game and you both have full-time jobs. So when we played it, it was abundantly clear to me that you were as proud of the game that you had built as you were excited to see it go away forever. Now that you've got a few weeks between having run this and now, I'm kind of curious, what are your thoughts about what you created? So I would say both of us are very proud of what we accomplished. I think that we did set out to do something that was unique, different, and and I think that we did that. And the response that we got from everyone playing the game was so wonderful and just beyond what we ever thought that people would say about anything that we had ever created. And so we've really loved the response that we've gotten from that game. But yeah, it took a lot from us. It's just the two of us, and we've been running it for the three years. We have our full-time jobs, and so this took over every weekend and our Tuesday and Thursday nights. That was our typical schedule. And we had gotten to a point where like, we can't keep doing this for our own mental health. All right, it's time to let it be what it was, and it's time to close it, and we're really happy with where it is and where it ended up. We're okay with putting a bow on it and calling it something that we did and moving forward and hoping to create something, not trying to create something that can top time machine. And we don't even have any ideas for what to create next, but just being able to create something different that doesn't have to be run by two people and that we could train other people to run. Yeah. I mean, when he says it's run by two people, that's really no joke. When I was sitting with Davey behind the scenes watching, Bora was moving a lot. And even then, there were still times when several times, I think at least like like three or four times when Davey would excuse himself, run into the room because there was something that just required two different people to move or you both had to be doing something separately. I could see how time consuming it was. And it was also very labor intensive 
like you had to really be paying attention. And, and it was a, a lot about the timing, I could tell also. And I can see how that would be just really wearing after a while. And is that part of the reason why you didn't just train people to run this game? Because this is a game that you didn't want to hire anybody for, right? You only felt like the two of you were the only ones who could run it? Exactly. The timing of everything was so specific. And we built the game in a way where we were kind of handing the players off to each other. So while one person is watching the game and and giving hints or running certain things when necessary, the other one is behind the scenes moving rooms around and decorating a set. If you stumble or if you don't change the rooms in time or you're not watching carefully and the group is like ready to go on to the next stage, it really would ruin the whole game and the magic of it all for that group. So we couldn't bring ourselves to to hire people and train it just because we spent so much time perfecting this this thing and we yeah, we couldn't bring ourselves to to hire people to run it and and trust that that they would be as on top of it as we were running the game. When you disabled this game and I know that you did so as soon as we left. Is there any particular part of it that you were really eager to destroy, like the printer from Office Space? We probably had our own, uh, each had our own part that we wanted to take apart. I was really excited to just kind of pull the walls off of the silver covered room, time machine room, just because it was kind of showing its age by the end of the game. And like, the floors weren't in perfect condition. So I really wanted to tear that room apart. That's what we got to do in the last few days. So I'm excited. Yeah. I wouldn't say there was any like one thing that like drove me crazy. I was just like, Oh, this I'm going to take my, all my aggression out on you because I can finally can. There was nothing like that, but there were things that it was like, Oh, thank God we can finally take this down or like, Oh, we're not going to have to deal with this thing anymore, but not one particular like big thing. To close this out, What I really want to say to both of you is I love what you have been doing with your games. I have a long-standing and well-documented affinity for phenomenal games that don't necessarily look like a Disney production. And it brings me a lot of joy to go and see games like what you have made in time machine and also in battleship which is unique and different in its own right i really think that there's sort of a punk rock stripped down approach to it that i find incredibly cool it's sort of like the hole in the wall restaurant that has amazing food and i just want to say thank you for making it and I can't wait to see what you make next. Thank you so much. We really, yeah, we really appreciate you saying that. And you mentioned earlier that, like, that's kind of the the gist of our room that you got from other people that were telling you, like, don't expect Disney level budget, but it's a great game. We are absolutely aware of what we're doing with the amount of budget that we do have, and we focus on what we think we're good at, which is puzzle design and putting things in rooms that people 
are either surprised by or they can really appreciate for what it is. And I think we really did that with Time Machine. And you were saying how like the 80s was the best looking room of the whole game. And that kind of makes sense because that's the last room we built while we were building the game. So we learned some things as we were building in the space and, and we were able to to put it together to look a little better than the other rooms. But But the main focus was never on spending a bunch of money and getting top-notch props or things that looked immaculate. The focus was always making good puzzles that make people think in a way that they haven't before or they see something they haven't before in other escape rooms. And I think we did that with the room changes and the individual puzzles in the room. We're totally fine with this whole business being kind of a passion project that we started on a whim and we still have our day jobs and we're not trying to go into the space with the intent of being a huge escape room company. We kind of want to be that small company that makes good games. You keep making them and we'll keep playing them. Yeah, I would say we build the games for us and hope that people will enjoy them. We build the games thinking like, what kind of game would we like to play? Do the puzzles make sense to us? Do the puzzles fit? Would we enjoy playing it? And if it's a no, then we don't do it. That's why we're not buying puzzles from other places because we want to create something. We want to start from the ground and build it totally ourselves. And it's a gruesome thing to do the whole building process. It's nice to be able to look back on it and be like, yeah, you and I, we, we created that and we're really happy and we're really proud of it. And, and even though it may not look the best, it was what we could do and we're happy with it. And we are so, so grateful with the love and appreciation we've gotten for time machine and just, We couldn't be happier with what we created. I mean, honestly, I appreciate that you guys took some really big risks with your games. Both of your games, Time Machine and Battleship, have just some really different, unique mechanics. And I think that's part of the charm, actually. Even the build is part of the charm. It reminds me of like an indie movie, but in the best way possible. They're working with small budgets, but they create something really, really magical and really different. And they're able to take risks that like a big studio might not be okay with. There was just like a lot of heart in the games. You know, you could definitely feel it. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with next. Thank you. Thank you. I I 100% agree with everything you just said. All right. Well, we're going to bring this episode in for a close. Bora, Davey, thank you so much for joining us. If you have listened all the way to the end and you are anywhere near Brea, California, you should go and check out Battleship at Not Another Escape Room. I strongly recommend that you bring an even number of teammates. (laughs) You probably want to play with people on your team that are all shooting at the same level when it comes to puzzles is our advice. And if you guys have enjoyed this episode and you are listening on our main feed, we have a ton more Spoilers Club episodes where we talk to owners and creators of all sorts of different iconic, classic escape rooms, and they give us behind-the-scenes scoops. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having both of you. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, this has been such a good experience for both of us. Glad to hear it. Thanks to our patrons. <laughs>